This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. It's just the two of us today. My friend Jack is back home for a little while after hey, he graduated yes. from UT last week. We so meant, I meant to bring it up on last week's pod because I think he was a day away at that point. But Did we not? We didn't bring it up, no. Oh. We're bad, we're bad co-workers. No, maybe we brought it up two weeks ago. That, that's possible. I, I I feel like that. I think it was happen. mentioned as something that was coming up. Okay. But we didn't mention it the twenty four hours before. Yeah, that might have which been isn't a, great. Might have been a miss on our part. Yeah. Hand there, up. There's a lot going on right now. Hand up. Yeah. We messed up. You want to say we messed up? We messed up. Right. Fine. Fine. Five. I said it five times. Right. We'll five it. times. We messed up. Now quit asking about it, people. Quit asking about it. So congratulations to Jack Foster. Yes, congratulations, just a nice Jack. little public announcement. But for the time being, Ryan, it is just the two of us. I think that's a song, but uh, it's not really applicable here. But <laughs> we're doing this podcast together. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Great to hear. Today is Thursday, December 21st. We are just a couple of days away from Christmas. I guess that'll be coming up next Monday. Ryan, we got a basketball game tonight that we will be attending. That will be Tennessee versus Tarleton State. The Texans, it is ugly Christmas sweater uh, night, at least for us in the media. So if you're listening to this before and you happen to be heading to the Food City Center today for the basketball game, go ahead and look over our way. You might see some colorful Christmas sweaters over there. But otherwise, things going pretty well. Yeah, 100%. And it's uh, always a, a fun week with Christmas coming up. And obviously the big news of the week, national well, early signing period began on Wednesday and runs through Friday. But... I'm not sure, kudos to Tennessee, I'm not sure I've ever seen them get the recruiting, the signing part done so quickly. I think within three and a half hours of, I think, 7 o'clock or shortly after 7 o'clock Eastern time, Carson Gentle was the first one to sign, and by like 11, maybe even 10.30 uh, Eastern time, it was everybody in Tennessee's class had signed, including all the transfers, so they were nice and tidy about it and got it done, and uh, I was not there, but you were there uh, talking to Josh Heupel yesterday, and I obviously uh, listened to it as well. So uh, a lot of recruiting stuff to talk about, and obviously a little bit to get into with basketball too. We went over to your neck of the woods in the Lone Star State and got a win over the weekend, and now plays the Tarleton State Texans also from your neck of the woods yeah. uh, tonight in their final game before what's like a 12-day break. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a big break. So last game of, of uh, 2023 for the Tennessee basketball team coming up tonight Really only one more game after this one until SEC play starts. That'll be Norfolk State on the second, and then Tennessee takes on Ole Miss. Is that game home or away? Do you know? Okay, so Tennessee opens up the SEC season at home against the Ole Miss Rebels, who are red hot. I mean, that's going to be a a gigantic game to start out the season. Uh, The SEC slate, I should say. Ole Miss undefeated under Chris Beard. They're they're really rolling right now, aren't they? One of two teams now. Oklahoma lost last night to North Carolina, so it's now down to two teams. I think James Madison, maybe? It's a small school. I want to say James Madison and Ole Miss and Houston, so it's three teams. It was four, now down to three teams that are unbeaten. Now, you did the rankings, and, and I guess I could probably pull it up right here. Where are they in the – 25, okay. um, which it's 
a real dichotomy, as you and the listeners know. I'm a big Ken Palm guy. Ken Palm hates Ole Miss. Does not think they're good. Has them ranked currently number 85 nationally. I think the third worst team in the SEC. Wow. Ranks them to go 7-11 and 11 in SEC plays. So they haven't played a very good non-conference schedule. Uh, but Memphis, I mean, they beat, they beat Memphis at home. And Memphis, is, to me, has been extremely impressive. Uh, so they got one good win. They also beat North Carolina State at home. And they beat UCF in a tight game on the road. Besides that, uh, they really haven't played anybody very good. Those are the only three teams ranked in the top 80 of Ken Palm. Uh, that Ole Miss has played Tennessee by comparison has played one we're going to say 81 Syracuse is 81 two three four five six seven games uh, against teams in the top 81 of Ken Palm so they haven't played a super hard schedule but they're still finding a way to win a lot of games and uh, also have gotten kind of some of that NCAA waiver stuff that's been interesting the last few weeks has also got Brandon Murray eligible so yeah True's probably somewhere in the middle uh, of those two, but should be a, an interesting challenge to open SEC play for the Vols. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I, I think that people are – I don't know if people want to hear any bit more about Ole Miss. They've kind of been a dominant storyline in all of college sports right now. So we'll go ahead and move on to what we know and what is right here is local. Looking at Tennessee's national signing class roster from the early signing period that was on Wednesday and runs through Friday, Tennessee signed 27 players. 22 of those were from the high school recruiting scene. Four of them were transfer players, and then one of them was a junior college transfer player that Tennessee got just a couple days ago. Here's how it kind of breaks out. 18 of those players are going to be early enrollees. And Ryan, when I look at this list, and I got it all here in front of me, there are, of course, some big names on here. We're going to talk about them. Guys like a Boo Carter that, you know, is a really exciting prospect. Guys like a... a uh, a Jordan Ross, who is just a phenomenal edge rusher, a five-star recruit. Mike Matthews, obviously, a really talented receiver who you know, was, was phenomenal playing secondary as well during high school. So you can just tell the athleticism that he has. But there's a little bit to be desired as well from this recruiting class. And I think that's where sort of you end things. You understand that there are good and talented players that Tennessee feels can give them an advantage or give them a lift and really play their type of system. But there's also been a lot of misses lately in the recruiting trail and, again, left things to be desired. I'll, I'll toss it over to you here in a second, but you wrote this earlier today. I believe that Tennessee's class is right outside of the top 15 on most publications. Looks like about number 11 on 247 Sports, number 13 on On3 Sports, number 14 on Rivals. And that's a fine place to be, right? Kind of top 10, top 15, around that area. But I think the weird juxtaposition that you get to right now is that this is the most competitive conference by far. So you can be right there on the outside of the top 10, but you might be number six, number seven, number eight in the SEC. And that's obviously sort of at the halfway point, maybe even a little bit back half. It's just a weird kind of dichotomy with SEC recruiting going on right now. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's the majority of the top 10 every year is going to be SEC. That's even added on even more when you talk about Texas and Oklahoma now in the league. I think both... Definitely Texas is, and I, and I think Oklahoma's too. Their recruiting classes are ranked higher than Tennessee's on uh, just about every site. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard challenge. It's a hard bar you're trying to live up to. And, and I do think there are, in some ways, Tennessee's class is probably better than the rankings indicate because I think they signed uh, a good ratio of, you know, four- and five-star recruits, and, and their class is a little bit smaller than most. And, even its its average ranking has gone down a little bit because they've added just a couple bodies who are, are very lowly ranked players in the last week or so uh, heading into signing day. So, you know, in some ways I do think it's better, but it's also 
not been, you said it, not been a good close. The last, really since August, and, and I wrote this in my story yesterday about what to like and what not to like. I'm just going to read basically verbatim uh, this section. You know, I, I kind of started by saying you're not going to land everybody you're in the top group for. If you land around 50%, that's like a really good closing rate. So I think that's what people maybe don't take into, take into account sometimes. But since August, Tennessee's 2024 recruiting class, they have finished runner-up or in the top group and did not land four-star running back Daniel Hill, who went to Alabama, four-star receiver Amari Jefferson from Chattanooga, who went to Alabama, four-star cornerback Kai Bates. They really missed out on him twice. First, he went to LSU over Tennessee. Then he decommitted and went to Florida State over Tennessee. Four-star linebacker Chris Cole, who went to Georgia. Four-star defensive lineman Cam Franklin, who went to Ole Miss. Five-star defensive lineman Williams Nowerny. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He went to Missouri. Five-star receiver Ryan Wingo, signed with Texas. Four-star defensive lineman uh, Elias Williams, who was committed to Missouri. Tennessee was trying to flip him. He stuck to Missouri. Four-star edge rusher Danny Okoye, who went to Oklahoma. Five-star offensive tackle Jordan Seaton. He committed to Colorado. We'll see where where he signs with. He's one of the top guys that did not sign. Plenty of scuttlebutt around his name. Yes, it seems like Maryland has the most buzz, which is another school that's kind of come out of nowhere, which par for the course in Jordan Seaton's uh, recruitment. Four-star athlete Cam Michael, who went to Colorado. Three-star tied in Roger Saliapega, maybe. I don't know how you pronounce his name. He went to Oregon. Three-star cornerback uh, Jaron Sensabal, who went to Missouri. And a three-star tight end, Willie Rodriguez, who was committed to Kentucky. Tennessee was trying to flip. He stays committed to Kentucky. And I think before you get to this next part, this next line is maybe more telling. Well, obviously in comparison and in combination with all of it. But the last line to me is, is maybe the most telling. Yes, and so all those guys, Tennessee, you know, finishes in the top group four. And this is all guys that have committed from the start of August. In that time, Tennessee beat out SEC schools for one commit. And it, it was their second highest rated commit in the class, five-star edge rusher Jordan Ross. But I don't even know. I haven't looked at it. That's, that's 12 names or whatever. They finished in the top group four, and they landed one. So that kind of, to me, is an all-time cold streak that Tennessee ended their prep recruiting on. Now I will say before August, when you talk about maybe the stretch from June and July, which has obviously become a very busy part uh, of commitment season and the recruiting calendar, Tennessee was probably landing at a really high rate, you know, around that 50% mark, a really good. So again, it hasn't been just like the whole class. They haven't been able to land these top guys. And you go through, you go through Tennessee's commit list and so many of them Tennessee did land over Good schools, SEC schools, yeah, big name programs. So I don't mean to say that this Tennessee has nobody that anybody good wanted, but when you talked about going into August, it looked like Tennessee, if they could continue to land maybe thirty percent of the guys they were in on, they were going to end with another top ten class, maybe a top eight class. Instead, they don't do that. They end on that cold streak we discussed, and uh, they've ended up you know somewhere in that ten to fifteen range, depending on the site. Yeah, and it's a challenge. It's always going to be a challenge, and you add in two premier schools from college football into the mix who are. You know, obviously already in that, that college football national recruit, recruiting uh, ranking system, but now their SEC competition. Here's what Josh Heupel had to say on Wednesday just about that competitiveness of recruiting in the, in the SEC. He said, quote, yeah, as competitive as it is on the football field, it's even more competitive in recruiting. Time, energy, effort, strain, everybody's working in the same footprint. I think we're one of the few leagues left where it's actually a regional footprint. You're competing against the guys inside of your conference every time you're talking to a kid. I think that's that's pretty much common knowledge, but it does speak volumes to really just how competitive it is. And, and he talks about it being more competitive than it is on the football field. All that goes to say, though, is that 
yeah, I, I think Tennessee really struggled to close with recruits this year. And you saw recruits have a lot of – have Tennessee in that final five, final three. You saw these recruits come onto campus. You know, I, I'm not the biggest recruiting expert or recruiting guru in the world, but a lot of those visits, they sounded really positive. They sounded really good. Kids had really great things to say about not only Tennessee and the facility and the resources that they had, but also the offensive schemes where they felt like they could be playing – but at the end of the day, they go elsewhere. And so, again, I, I think that this class is kind of just, you know, again, you recognize the good players on the sheet. And, of course, there's going to be playmakers. You know, there's playmakers all over the place of, among these 27 players and transfers. But at the same time, I think it's just hard not to sort of end this cycle thinking about exactly what you're saying and talking about how, man, Tennessee w- was seemingly in there with a lot of these kids but just could not close the bill when it came time to matter. I think Josh Heibel's point about, you know, the regional footprint is, you know, a good point. And it is so much – I mean, that kind of adds to the excitement of it, but, you know, also the challenge of it, of you're recruiting against SEC schools from almost all these guys. And just kind of going through Tennessee's commit list right now, you know, there's a handful of Clemsons that they beat out for kids, which obviously is kind of the one south – I guess Florida State and Clemson are the two southeast big college football brands that aren't in the SEC now. Uh, and then besides that, I mean, they beat out Michigan and Colorado for Boo Carter. Obviously, we saw some Colorado with kids that went, to ten- or went there over Tennessee. I guess the same thing with Gage Gentford, though he was a Colorado kid. So that one wasn't really a regional recruiting battle. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it adds to the intrigue and kind of the interestingness of it that maybe really no other league has anymore just because how regional the SEC still is. And, you know, I guess where I – I guess we're, we'll probably get into some details with some of these guys and things we like about it, but – on the overview conversation, I think kind of where I stand with the recruit, this recruiting classes, you know, it's after, you know, all that stuff happened recently and everybody's kind of a prisoner in the moment. So everybody, there's a lot of negative vibes right now. And, I, you know, I think Tennessee still signed a good recruiting class. Uh, I think they signed a lot of good players. But to me, they did not recruit at a high enough level to compete for, and I was going to say championships, but if you're, if you're competing for an SEC championship, you're competing for a national championship. So it's, it's all the same. Yeah. They didn't recruit well enough to compete with the Alabamas and Georgias consistently unless they have, as I've said many times, the great equalizer and great quarterback play. So, again, that's when you talk about, obviously, there's always going to be a lot of pressure on quarterback for any big school and certainly a quarterback in Josh Heupel's offense. Um, but I just think a ton's on Nico Iamaliava because – while it might not be massive, I think there just is still going to be a talent deficit between Tennessee and those top, top SEC schools. Uh, again, they can change that and recruit better in the next class and all that good stuff. But from this class, that's you know Tennessee needs to recruit better if they want to compete with those schools unless they're just going to get exceptional quarterback play. Yeah, you know, and that was one of my big – I don't know. That's just kind of one of the things that gets burned more and more into my brain every single season that we watch college football is just that – when you're watching the teams at the end of the year, the teams who are competing for their spot in November, when you talk about who's going to be in the New Year's Six Bowls come December, man, it's a lot of highly, highly rated recruits. And, yes, there's a lot of development that goes into that. And, of course, there are always going to be players who, who kind of rise above their rankings, right, a, a, a really talented three-star who turns into a five-star type of player and so on and so forth. But it is, right? There is that separation between the top teams in the country and the top teams in the conference and then sort of the rest of everybody else. And I think this is where you make those strides, and we'll see how Tennessee's class does right here. But, again, it was a little bit of a – just a a close that left a lot to be desired in my opinion. So that's sort of, uh, you know, kind of the overall thoughts about the the recruiting class. But, Ryan, if you want to go to a positive – I do think that the, that the players that they're recruiting are players for their system. And I think that that's something that Josh Heupel has sort of 
uh, really shown a tendency towards this is what his third recruiting class here at Tennessee. He gets players that are going to be effective in his system, and I think there's plenty of guys here on this list that fits that bill. Mike Matthews is obviously a really talented receiver that has speed and athleticism to his game. You have a guy like Jordan Ross who, uh, again, he talk about speed and athleticism on the outside of the defensive yeah. line. Look what Tennessee was able to do with a guy like James Pierce Jr. this year. So I do think that a lot of these names at the top of the at the top of the roster, and uh, especially some of these guys who are going to be early enrollees, I think they fit the system, and that's something that Tennessee has had has been able to be effective with at times throughout this class. Certainly, um, I think there's a good number of things to like about it. I would almost start with the offensive line class, which. It is not an area Tennessee has recruited very well uh, under Glenn Ellerby and Josh Heupel. And we've talked about some of it just from the standpoint of how bad the depth was this year and how badly they needed some of these veteran guys to come back. So there's not – obviously you never want to have to rely on freshmen to be instant impact guys on the offensive line. Tennessee won't have to do that. But developing these guys as freshmen and having them ready to compete for playing time uh, going into their second year will be important. I thought Bennett Warren was one of the biggest gets in this class. Houston area – uh, kid, Tennessee beat out Texas A&M and Michigan and Oklahoma for. That was a huge get. And, and they signed five offensive linemen as a whole. Almost all of those guys, they, they beat out big-time schools for. Three of those guys rank as four stars. I think the only thing that you would knock the class for is you just wish there was one more kind of definitive offensive tackle. There's a couple guys, Max Anderson, Gage Gentler. Seemed like they could play either spot. Uh, obviously, Bennett Warren is a true offensive tackle. But you kind of wish there was one other guy. But still, you know, that would have made it a phenomenal class. I still think it was a good offensive line class, the best Tennessee has signed so far. Um, and then, you know, one other thing I would add quickly is just the, the blue chip ratio. Uh, I think 247 Sports is the one that kind of came up with that concept, and they post it every summer. You know, and there's usually around 10 to 15 teams, depending on the year, that has over 50% blue chip, four- and five-star recruit high school recruits on their roster. And the blue chip ratio – no team in modern college football has ever won a national championship without having over 50%. So that's always the big number. Tennessee has not been over 50% yet in Josh Eichel era. I think they will be next year. Um, and Tennessee did a good job moving towards that direction this year. 62% blue chip ratio on the guys they signed. So that kind of goes back to what we said of the guys that Tennessee signed are good. And yeah. you look at these rankings and usually the average commit ranking Tennessee is ranked higher than where they are in the signing class. So um, those are kind of two things just off the bat that I like a lot uh, about Tennessee's prep recruiting class. Yeah, that's a really interesting factor or just a statistic right there. And I think that one that people will kind of latch on to or keep in the memory bank going forward because that is a good way to sort of summarize everything up. But to go along with your offensive line point, uh, what was it, five offensive linemen in the class, I believe, that, uh, that says right here. The good news for Tennessee is that four of those guys are going to be early enrollees. Uh, everybody but Bennett Warren, who you were talking about a second ago. So you have... Uh, four-star offensive lineman Max Anderson, four-star William Satterwhite, three-star Gage Ginther, who's also a four on some uh, on some recruiting publications, and then Jesse Perry as well. So you're going to get those guys in, but man, this is a time where you know you know what you're you have a pretty good idea of what you're going into the 2024 season with. That's you know I think one of the big one the only big one left is to see what Javante Spragans is going to do. Otherwise, Tennessee's got back um, Campbell, they've got back Mincy, they've got back Cooper Mays. Those are all extremely important. But 2025, though, there's no questions about it, right? There's no, could this guy come back? Could this guy uh, leave, potentially, whatever? It's going to be getting that new crop of offensive linemen is, and, and, and these guys uh, could potentially weigh in heavy on those decisions coming up. Uh, again, we talked about 18 
uh, early enrollees for Tennessee as Tennessee continues to go through bowl practices right now in the lead to the Citrus Bowl. Couple of those big time names who are early enrollees. You have Mike Matthews, Boo Carter, quarter, Tennessee's lone quarterback commit, Jake, uh, signee Jake Merklinger, Braylon Staley, Peyton Lewis, Max Anderson, Caleb Beasley, Kellen Lindstrom, William Satterwhite, Edwin Spillman. I think those are all really talented names, and you know it's good for Tennessee that they're getting them there early. That's been one of the things that Josh Heupel really has uh, emphasized here in the last couple of years, just about how important those bowl practices are, how important being the early enrollee is, and Tennessee's got a gigantic chunk of the class here early uh, for those practices and for that kind of acclimation period. Certainly, and some guys that you point to, maybe they can play as freshmen, and, and Boo Carter's a big one. Uh, obviously, he was dynamic on both sides of the ball. Uh, Bradley Central winning Mr. Football uh, honors this year in 6A football in the state of Tennessee. And it sounds like he's going to start his career at safety. And, man, you look at Tennessee's, and we'll get into some of the transfer stuff in a minute, but you look into what Tennessee has at safety going into next year, it's not great. It's It's pretty – I don't even know the right the right word. Uh, it's not a very good spot. So the fact that you know Boo Carter, who is one of the more talented guys, can come in and maybe compete for playing time, and and Mike Matthews, obviously a guy that also played both ways in high school, seems uh, he's going to start his career at receiver. Another guy that you know Tennessee doesn't necessarily in desperate need of receivers, but is so talented, it seems like he could make a big impact. And a guy that Tennessee hopes not to see early, but Jake Merklinger. <laughs> You know, there's a good chance that he's going to be Tennessee's backup next year as it is hard for Tennessee to, or for anyone really, to bring in a transfer portal quarterback when you already know who the starter's going to be in Nico Yamaliava. So he's a guy that I think, while Tennessee doesn't want, hopes that he doesn't have to play next yeah. year, you better get him in and get him a lot of reps and get him as developing as much as possible as quickly as possible. Uh, so getting in, him in as early as possible and for him to see as many reps as he can, uh, I think is pretty important. Yeah, here's what Josh Heupel said about uh, quarterback Jake Merklinger during Wednesday's sort of early signing day press conference. Quote, he's going to have to grow really quickly. He'll get, spoon fed, uh, he'll get spoon fed as we start here in January and, and grow into spring football. Smart, competitive, he's got good fundamentals. We've got to refine some of those things. He's already been working on those as he stepped foot on campus. But his football IQ, his ability to retain information, process out in the football field, uh, he's a winner. He's competitive. He's got the right makeup. So Josh Heupel certainly high on his four-star quarterback who's coming in as an early enrollee. Uh, but, man, Tennessee's got a really, really fascinating quarterback situation going into next year. Obviously, everybody projects Nico Imaliava as the starting quarterback. But then right behind him, you're going to have Gaston Moore, who, who has – uh, kind of, you know, been uh, been the, you know, the perennial backup quarterback throughout throughout his career here at Tennessee, and and been one of those kind of glue guys for the practice field and the, and the scout team. But then right behind him, you have Jake Merklinger, a, a true freshman, and that's pretty much it as things stand now. Now Josh Heupel did say, hey, you know, you're always evaluating the positions on your team and looking out the transfer portal can help you, but it's also a hard sell, right? When you're saying, hey, we want an experienced veteran quarterback to come in through the portal. But we also have this, you know, redshirt freshman, this this second year quarterback who, you know, we're giving the keys to the Ferrari to. So that's sort of a weird juxtaposition. But either way, uh, it's a really interesting quarterback room heading into next year. It's a very specific kid to Tennessee's trying to find in the portal because anyone that's going somewhere to play probably isn't going to go to Tennessee. So you're almost looking for a senior, super senior, old guy who wants to get into coaching and wants to maybe learn Josh Heupel's offense and kind of say, hey, I'll come in for a year be a backup and then maybe be a GA for you. You're, you're coming, you almost want someone that 
is fine not to play and wants to learn and become a coach, which obviously there's a lot of years where no one like that's out there. So it's a very specific guy Tennessee is looking for, which obviously makes it a challenge. And then, you know, part of my ignorance, I'm not sure if you notice either, do we know for sure that Gaston Moore is coming back? I don't know for sure. He's a redshirt junior, so he has another year. He honestly might have multiple years given all the COVID rules yeah. and stuff. But he did go through senior day festivities. Um, so that will be one to watch. And, you know, usually you think walk-on quarterback, who really cares? I, I think Gaston Moore would be big because, and while, again, he's not he's not great, it would not be a great development for Tennessee if Gaston Moore had to play. It gives you at least some sort of security blanket and a guy who actually has gotten some real snaps in, in the past and, and I think is at least capable and understands Josh Heupel's offense and can do some of the things they're looking for in it. Yeah, I think this is a guy who, who knows Josh Heupel's system like the back of his hand again. He's been with Josh Heupel for so long. He understands these things. Uh, I, I think he, he, you know, again, is an important player kind of on that practice field, just kind of getting people in the right place. Uh, but, yeah, that is a really good question. I, I, I think so. I lean towards yes. Uh, but we'll obviously figure that out here in the coming months and weeks as we go forward. All right, Ryan, before we get into the transfers, just kind of looking at the full list of uh, uh, prep prospects, uh, of guys they signed from the class yesterday, is there any name in particular that stands out to you? Now, we've talked about a couple of the big ones already. We've talked about a Mike Matthews, Jordan Ross, but is there anybody that, that really kind of stands out to you as a, uh, a, a dynamic player that, that you like to see on the class right there? Well, I'll actually give you three guys. Um, two of them who I think are a little bit underrated and partially because – well, one of them, Caleb Beasley, he was one of Tennessee's first commits, committed in, I don't know, no, October, November of 2022, so over a full year ago, and uh, cornerback from Lipscomb Academy, I thought he was really, really good at Lipscomb. Uh, to me, I continue to think Tennessee's recruited the cornerback spot pretty well, and a guy that Tennessee had to withhold some pushes from Notre Dame and Auburn, I know he visited both those schools since committing to Tennessee, and they land, and then to me, Edwin Spillman, one of the more underrated guys in this class another Lipscomb Academy guy in the mid-state linebacker just ranks as the 338th player nationally according to the 247 composite rankings lowest so a low four star but man I mean having a chance to watch a couple of Lipscomb games this year he's just a tackling machine very violent physical player I loved a lot about his game and again a dude that committed to Tennessee over I believe it was Georgia and Ohio State very serious interest. Both those schools trying to land them. So we talk about beating two of, I don't know, let's, let's look at it, two of the maybe three top recruiting classes or four top recruiting classes in the entire country. Like that was a big win. And yeah, Georgia's number one, Ohio State's number four. So uh, to me, I always thought he was underrated. So those are two guys on the even side of the ball. And then Peyton Lewis, who was a four-star running yeah. back from Virginia, put up monster yards in his senior season. And you know, to me, I see a lot of similarities to Jalen Wright as a high school runner, where he's a track guy, tons of speed, but he has a really good frame to be able to add weight. And I think uh, Josh Heupel, I think he even talked about it yesterday, how he grew from his junior to senior year of running between the tackles. And I think as a guy, as he gets to college, puts on more weight. Uh, learning from Jerry Mack in Tennessee's, Tennessee's offensive coaches is going to become a, a more complete running back while having that breakaway speed. And to me, is a guy to be really, really excited about in this class. Yeah, I think that's the that's the one that I was going to go with right off the bat as well. Peyton Lewis, six foot one. Uh, they have him listed here as one hundred ninety seven pounds. So you're right; that's a frame that that Tennessee can really work with once they get him 
into the strength and conditioning program on a more uh, structured basis. I think Max Anderson is a great uh, sort of line prospect right there. He's from my neck of the woods over in Frisco, Texas. Uh, but then it, you got also a guy like Braylon Staley, right, who, who I think is a really talented receiver. He's got a lot of speed and athleticism to his game, which, as we've seen in the past, we know that that's a staple, right, of these Josh Heupel offenses. So certainly good players all over the place. You mentioned a guy like Bennett Warren, who has really stood out to me since Tennessee started recruiting him and since he committed to Tennessee. And then obviously uh, the Vols got him to sign in the dotted line yesterday. Uh, that's been one that stood out to me. But but really, I think you look at the top section of this class, and like you were talking about with the blue-trip prospects, there's just a lot to like here. Uh, and we'll see how they all fit in. Most of them are early enrollees, um, and we'll see how that plays out. But I, I, I do like plenty of the pieces in this class for Tennessee. Again, we mentioned at the, top of the, at the top of the show today, there is things to be desired from. There were a lot of misses there at the end of the cycle. Tennessee did struggle to close on a lot of the top guys. Uh, but the guys that they do have in the class, I think, are difference makers and, and can impact this team in some sort of way uh, as they get their career going here at Tennessee. Yeah, certainly. Want to talk? Want to talk transfers? Let's talk transfers. What do you think? Well, Tennessee's landed three so far to date, um, including a nice early start to the early signing date at 7 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time. Jermod McCoy, Oregon State cornerback transfer, committed to Tennessee. Uh, over man, he had. A ton of offers. It sounded like Washington, Oklahoma, and A&M kind of ended up being his final four. I think those were the schools he visited. Uh, so he joins tight, Notre Dame tight end transfer Holden Stays and Middle Tennessee safety transfer Jacoby Thomas. That is where Tennessee sits as of right now. I'm sure they will add probably at least another three, uh, another handful of guys, but that's kind of the three that Tennessee sits with right now. Yeah, I want to say guys like Keenan Peely and uh, Gabe Judulali, I don't believe were added until after the Orange Bowl last year. Correct, and there was another one, too. Yeah, there uh, was. Um, I'm blanking on who it was, but one of their other bigger me too. Uh, transfers committed committed pretty late or after the bowl game for sure. Who was it? Uh, somebody's screaming at their car right now. Uh, was it Omar Norman Lott? It was, yeah. Okay, that's who go. it was. There you go. So, Good uh, call. Jamal uh, uh, McCoy, I, I think, is a really talented player. What He played those last four games at Oregon State. I think he got the starts, and he, he really impressed people there. Uh, Tennessee goes, and they get a tight end. Both of those guys right there are listed as four-star players out of the transfer portal. And then Jacoby Thomas, like, like Ryan was alluding to, you get some help in the secondary right there from a guy who has a little bit of experience. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to, again, see how this transfer portal class lines up. These are the, obviously the, the first round of guys, if you will. Uh, but there's probably going to be more later on down the road that we will have everything covered for you. Um, but, but, you know, they're addressing positions of need. And we know that Josh Heupel and Tennessee are not going to be sort of this old Miss team in the portal, right? Just going to get everybody they can for kind of these one-year deals. Josh Heupel's thing seems like it's pretty much always been development, right? He wants to get these players developed. I think it was last year during the early signing day press conference where he talked about just the importance of that and how this is a program that they want to develop people. I think you can also see that from the coaching staff side of things, right? The coaches that they've, they've promoted essentially are guys that they, who have been in their system and who have been developed into kind of where they want them to be and the sorts of assistant coaches that they want on the roster. I think that development continues to be a big thing in the Tennessee football program. But then the also weird thing about all of this is it goes back to recruiting and it talks about the transfer portal thing. And, man, we're in this day and age right now where let's say Tennessee misses out on Jordan Seaton, right? He committed to Colorado. Maybe he goes somewhere else. But let's just say he does not sign with Tennessee. 
it's still a guy that Tennessee could potentially go out and recruit next year, right? That's yeah. kind of the crazy thing about this is even if you lose right away at the first time, you can still have another chance later on down the road. So a lot of these commitments and a lot of these signees are, are, are not necessarily final. And obviously that's not saying that everybody Tennessee missed out on or are going to you know, come back to Knoxville in droves with a parade, but you're going to probably have opportunities at them later on. And that's not even my main point. My main point with that is just to say, that is sort of the crazy world of college football that we live in right now. Um, so maybe some of these guys go other places. Maybe they, you know, maybe they hit the transfer portal again. You look at a guy like Malachi Nelson, who is one of the two, one of the three big quarterbacks, along with Nico Iamaliava and Arch Manning. Well, Arch Manning had a couple of rumors to the transfer portal, and that doesn't seem like he's going to go anywhere from Texas. But Malachi Nelson at USC is now in the transfer portal. So it's just a, a weird day and age right now to where you could miss out on a guy. If you keep that relationship going and maybe you can talk to him a year from now, you could potentially be recruiting him again. So that's just one of the things that, that continued to strike me yesterday as we're watching these players commit places, we're watching these players sign places, but then also we're watching players enter the transfer portal. USC also just lost the, the number one overall recruit from the 2021 class. A lot of these guys could wind up back in the portal again, and that's just a, a crazy part of the world we live in. And we talked a lot about the misses Tennessee had in preps coming down the stretch, but in the transfer portal, I mean, two of the three guys they've gotten. We mentioned the schools with Jermod McCoy. Holden Stays was also a Washington visit, Georgia visit, and was going to Oklahoma before he canceled that visit and committed to Tennessee. So uh, for two of those three guys Tennessee's landed have been – They've beaten out really big schools for so uh, obviously that has all happened in, in the last week for both those guys and stays I think it was super important because we just know Tennessee needed a tight end badly uh, to really build a pair with Ethan Davis they get the top transfer transfer tight end uh, across the country and then you know I think with McCoy the thing that stands out to me true freshman so he's got has to play at least two more years before he can go pro has three more years of eligibility and started at Oregon State. And, you know, I think the natural – well, started at Oregon State, Oregon State, not a super big school. Well, they, I mean, Pac-12 the best, was the best passing conference in the country last year, the best quarterback conference in the country. A sure heck of a lot better than the SEC was when you talk about quarterback play. So McCoy has had some real experience of playing uh, against top guys, and he's been good. I think uh, his PFF grade graded out lower than Kamal Haddon and, or, and Gabe Judy Lawley for Tennessee last year, but higher than any other Tennessee corner. So uh, to me, I think there's a lot to like about both those lands. Obviously, Jacoby Thomas is a guy at a position of need for Tennessee, and we'll see what else uh, Tennessee has going forward. I guess the name, the big name out there, it sounds like he's nearing a decision as Tulane uh, transfer receiver Chris Braswell II, the redshirt freshman guy that was really good last year, seven 711 yards, five touchdowns, one of the most sought-after uh, receivers in the portal and a guy that has visited Tennessee and the Vulture going after hard. So I, it seems like that's kind of the next guy to watch, and, and I'm sure uh, a lot more will happen um, in, in the coming month and really probably six weeks. Yeah, and six foot five, just under 200 pounds too. So that is a, that's a heck of a frame for, for a wide receiver mid, that Midland, Texas, is that, isn't that where uh, Friday Night Lights is? Like the Odessa Midland? Oh, you know what? I Area, think you're right. I think I think Odessa was the town. That, I can't even remember the high school. Was it Permian? Was that the high school? Yeah, Permian was portrayed in the film as a single large high school in a small one-horse town in West Texas. In reality, Odessa was a city of nearly, um, I don't know, I was reading off Wikipedia there and then it went away. But yeah, 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 I think you're just about right. The event is held at a truck stop on the south side of Midland at 2 o'clock local time. 
Uh, that's referring to one of the scenes in the in the show. So I think you're right. Yeah, middle yeah. of Odessa is uh, their yeah. their neighboring towns in West Texas. I don't know if that was the movie or the show though. That was the movie. Okay. The show is not that's based on right. anything. The show, of the show is, is is this concept. Yes, is the yes. concept of of the small town football. Yeah. Um, anything else on the Tennessee recruiting class before I ask you one more just. Uh, signing day question in general. Nope. Yeah, I think we've had everything. Uh, real quick, you wrote a fantastic story last night. Why don't we just for a for a quick second talk about the uh, the struggles of one Billy Napier and the Florida Gators? Because man, have they had a lot of movement here in the last well, in the last week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. It has been a a fire sale uh, in, in Gainesville that nobody's trying to sell, but things are getting sold. Certainly, and you know, obviously on the field in two years for Billy Napier, it has not been very good. 11 and 14 is his record in two seasons. And when you look at Florida's schedule for the 2024 season, there's a lot to grimace at if you're a Florida fan <laughs> and think, oh, I don't really see how Billy Napier is going to survive this. The one positive is that Florida had had a really good 2024 signing class, I think, in. June or early in summer was about the number two class nationally. Yeah, they were ranked top five for a whole heck of a long stretch. And even in early November, I believe they were number three in the last five weeks. And I think about three or four of these guys happened on Monday or on, excuse me, on Wednesday, the first day of the early signing period. Tennessee, excuse me, Florida lost seven blue chip recruits. Five-star cornerback Xavier wow. Phil's and me flipped to Texas. Four-star defensive lineman uh, Amaris Williams flipped to Auburn. Four-star defensive lineman Adarius Hayes flipped to Miami. Four-star defensive then Jamonta Waller flipped to Auburn. Four-star safety Wardle Mack flipped to Texas. Four-star defensive lineman Nasir Johnson flipped to Georgia. And four-star receiver Isaiah Williams flipped to Texas A&M. Not great. And to give a little bit of a further, further look into it, a month ago, like I said, Florida's recruiting class was ranked number three nationally by the 247 Sports team rankings. It left the first day of the early signing period ranked number 16. Fell 13 spots. Uh, they did pick up one other four-star commit, and then their, their top recruit in this class is DJ Lagway, who is about the top quarterback in the country. I mean, he's a five-star top 10 recruit. Um, and there were some rumors that he was going to flip to Texas A&M, and I think USC was another one, and he did sign with Florida. So that was the positive for the Gators, but a lot more negative. And really the one thing that Billy Napier has been able to hang his hat on um, was the recruiting class, and, and that's, that's struggled. About the only thing Billy Napier can hold his hat on is beating Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee <laughs> just incapable of beating bad Florida teams in Gainesville. Yeah, that's that's about it. And Tennessee does get, uh, I know it'll be at home, but they do get Florida a little bit later on the schedule this year, which I think is definitely a, pos a net positive for yeah, Tennessee. October 12th, I think, is when that game is. Yes, because that kind of gives Florida a little bit more time to maybe settle into who they are going to be yeah. uh, for the season, as, as we've seen in the past. I tried to find it real quick, but Hugh Freeze did have some some pretty wild comments yesterday. Did you, did you happen to see any of those? Uh, briefly, yeah, I saw some of them. Just talking about, you know, hey, there's a lot of people who are going to try to come and steal your recruits, and he was specifically referring to one of his players that flipped to Georgia at the last minute, so really interesting comments there, but we aren't going to dive into them too much as uh, this podcast is going a little bit long, and Ryan, we need to flip the script to a little bit of basketball. Yeah, a little brief It's basketball my favorite talk. sport. Did you know that? Really, you like the way to dribble up and down the court? Oh, that's where exactly where I was You were very, very, you, tail, you were Joe Milton staring down a poster out down the middle of the field <laughs> on that one. 
Very easy to tell. I was looking right in your eyes, just waiting for you to let me. Safety was just staring that one down. You never looked off the post route. No, I didn't. I didn't. I I really (laughs) telegraphed that one. Um, All right, where are we going with basketball? Two more. We we talked about a little bit at the top of the show. Two more games until Tennessee takes on SEC opponents. Yeah, I think maybe Uh, brief talk uh, about the game in San Antonio. Yeah, Uh, Tennessee beats North Carolina State. By a score of seventy nine to seventy, um, I guess the, literally the very first thing that comes to my mind about this game is there might not have been two hundred fifty people there. It, it was a <laughs> wickedly small crowd. Yes, and this yeah. is bad, this is bad. Podcasting. You could hear the people up there in the in the top of the um, you know in the top of the arena. I don't think there was anybody Spurs in the top of the arena. arena. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, this is bad podcasting, but I'll show you the picture afterwards. Ben McKee from. Go Balls two four seven was was the lone media member there covering the game, and he sent a picture, wow. and it was it was um, it was unbelievable how, how few people there were. But that's bad podcast. Let me see if they've got. It. Uh, would you like to guess what ESPN has the attendance as? Uh, well, I got it pulled up now. Okay, 2,400. 2, and, and it that might was, be it that was might not, be generous. It was not <laughs> fifteen hundred. The picture I saw, but. Uh, nevertheless, Tennessee 79, North Carolina State 70. Dalton Connect struggles again. Worked by far the worst game he's played in his Tennessee career. Jonas Adu, who was under the weather, did not practice on, when was that, Friday, I guess, when we yeah, got to watch be before the team departed for San Antonio. Um, and picking them up was Josiah Jordan-James, who went for a career-high 23, and Sakai Ziegler, who went for a season-high 20, along with eight assists. Both those guys were, were just spectacular and picked up. Tennessee's two leading scorers who combined for six points. Yeah, you know, it, it, Tennessee had a stat come out on social media the other day that all five starters at this point have now scored a 20-plus points in at least one of the first 11 games of the season. I believe I believe, um, I believe, believe Josiah Jordan-James has two, and I believe Dalton Connect has three. three. Yeah. I think the rest of the guys have, have one. But the interesting thing about that as well is I believe there were eight total 20-point score, uh, scoring performances that they had in that graphic. Six of the eight came either on a neutral site or on an opponent's court. Most of those being a neutral site because Tennessee's played uh, North Carolina four, State on four a neutral site too, and, they, and those are all against good teams, right? Yeah. But then, the, then you also go to the thirty-seven just whopping point performance that that Don Connect had against and he North Carolina. Also in had Hill. over twenty at Wisconsin. Too. That's right, and yeah. then that one was against Wisconsin as well. So, and really, I think Josiah I, had twenty against North Carolina as well. I think. That's exactly yeah yeah. He had a very to, quiet twenty. Yes, Josiah's came came against both North Carolina teams. Yes. Yeah, against NC State and UNC. Um, so I just think I, I thought that that was a fascinating little tidbit. And hey, that's the kind of performances you're going to need. I know we're looking way ahead to advance, but you know, is it in Nashville this year? SEC tournament? Yes. Or is it moved? No, it's in Nashville. It's in Nashville for a while, right? It's in Nashville for. It's like, I think it's like the same contract it was before okay. for like nine nine to twelve yeah. years. It's okay. in Nashville, and then it's sprinkled across the, the conference in those other three years. Nashville's going to be a neutral court. Obviously, everywhere in March is going to be a neutral court. And at least early into the season, I know it's only an 11-game stretch, and you only have eight of these to, to kind of go off of, uh, but most of those are taking place on a neutral court. So that's certainly an, uh, a positive sign from Tennessee early on. Obviously, a, a lot could change here and there, but uh, that's one of my takeaways. But to go along back to the NC State game, yeah, Zikazi was really good, and he went four of eight from three-point line. Josiah Jordan-James went five of seven from three-point line. Uh, that was one of the big ways that they found their points, and they were really timely three-pointers as well, I figured. No, you're right, there were. And I'm actually going to go back to the stat you used because I think that's a big, that's a good big-picture talking point. It's one of Tennessee's biggest strengths and weaknesses all tied into one is 
you got five guys or whatever that can go out and score 20 points. You got six or seven guys on the team that can go score 15 points on a given night. But you don't have anybody to this point in the season that you know is going to go out there and score 15 points for you every night. And it felt like Dalton Connect would be that. And I'm not saying he can't be that, but we've seen some more flaws from him or some more kind of disappearances or, or just bad performances in, in the last couple of weeks that gives you pause. That at least right now, he's not truly that guy. And it's kind of like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the balance and five different guys who can go out there and carry you and score 20 points on a given night? Or would you rather have the one or certainly, you know, one or two guys that you can count on to definitely go out there and score 15? Every single time you're out there, you know what you're going to get. And I know we've talked about that a little bit. I wrote about it a little bit. Rick Barnes has harped on it. It's just the consistency element that this team has struggled with early in the season. And again, it's just some of that is how college basketball is, is there's so little consistency. UConn, who I would have had in my number one team in the country, got absolutely blitzed in its, or its Big East opener at Seton Hall last night against a very average Seton Hall team who, who's on the bubble. So that's the challenge, um, finding consistency. But to me, that's kind of been an interesting point. And you, started, you talked about postseason play. That's the recipe for a team that can go out there and make a run to the Final Four because they have so many different guys that can beat you. And so many. if you take one guy away, someone else can step up and carry the scoring load. But that's also uh, the formula for a team that can get upset early in the tournament because you don't yeah. have one guy that you know you're going to get. One or two guys you know what you're going to get. You're going to get double-digit scoring. You're going to get 15-plus points every single night. And there's really nothing you can anyone can do to take it away. So that's kind of the dichotomy of it. I think that's just going to be a theme with this team unless Dalton Connect gets super consistent because uh, I think we've just seen enough of those other guys to know that he, you know, all those other guys are very experienced players who have played a long time in Tennessee. You kind of know what you're going to get from a consistency standpoint. So uh, to me, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward. And, and to me, it's just one of the things that stands out about this team so far this season. Now, let me ask you this about Dalton Connect, and, and I'd be curious to know – where you go with it do you feel like for him it's a little bit of a case of hey 11 games in the season the secret's out right the secret is out that Dalton Connect is a really good offensive player the secret's out that he can go to Chapel Hill and score 37 points Seth Davis just just about a day or so ago he wrote for the messenger and Tennessee posted a graphic about this but he wrote quote now this previously too short too skinny oft ignored little known juco player has captured the attention not just of college basketball but also the dozens of NBA scouts who have flocked to his games people are talking about him as a potential first round pick do you feel like some of his struggles are just that teams are uh, teams are game planning against him more than he's ever experienced in his entire career. Not just more than he's ever experienced, but against better players and better defenses than he's ever experienced. Maybe this is a situation where with Don Connective, hey look, you 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 burst onto the scene like a you know like a rocket coming out of the sky. Teams started to figure that out a little bit. Now for Don Connect, the next step is figuring out how to play against a game plan that is specifically kind of locked in on him. Do you, do you think that there's any yeah, truth there? No, that's 100% it. And it's not in the sense of like the secrets out of how to defend them, and he's just not going to be effective now. Like they've, everybody's figured him out. They North Carolina State showed the game plan. I don't think it's that. But it is 100% of he's the guy that everybody's circling on the scouting report. He's the guy you're trying to take away when you face Tennessee. It all, when you're defending Tennessee, it starts with taking Dalton Connect out of the game, so he's getting a lot of attention. And, yeah, I think that's absolutely it. And he's going to have to adjust um, – but that's how you expect to happen. There's going to be ebbs and flows uh, in the college basketball season. We're just talking about the inconsistency kind of across the board in the sport. And I'd say for most scorers who aren't 
big men that you kind of do see that those ebbs and flows. So yeah, I hundred percent think that's the case. And the thing against North Carolina State is he was just he was just. And Rick Barnes said this after the game, but it was very obvious watching. He was just forcing it too much. He was forcing the issue, you know, trying to drive in through spots that he shouldn't have. He just needed to swing the ball, you know, keep the offense moving, let them take him out of the game a little bit, and not. Again, force this you, I think, is really the best phrase that I can come up with for it. And for the most part, in games that he's struggled, that's, that's what he's done. Or in the games that he hasn't scored, that's what he's done. He's, you know, teams have put a lot of emphasis on him, and he just hasn't taken a ton of shots. This one was, was the one where he kind of tried to shoot through it, and he had some turnovers. Um, but no, I think your assessment's 100% correct. I'm going to ask you about this just kind of because it's come up on a, as I'm scrolling here through the Tennessee basketball uh, Twitter page, but uh, Freddie Dillion. What, what do you think is kind of the next step for him? How, how much do you think he, he kind of inserts himself into this lineup of the next couple of weeks? I think, you know, I, I think we've seen that, that Barnes and the coaching staff, they, they have a good bit of trust in Cade Phillips, maybe to, to give the other guys a spell. Obviously, Jonas Adu and Tobey Walker are going to be Tennessee's main two guys down low. J.P. Estrella working into that role. Seems to me like Freddie Dillio might be the, the guy on the cusp of, of getting that more playing time the most. Where do you kind of, what's your sense of him right now? I'm kind of in seed to believe it area, to be honest. Uh, I mean, besides maybe in these next, certainly in these next two games against Tarleton State and Norfolk State, I think you'll see him get more playing time. But when it actually comes to him being a real rotation player in meaningful games, and, and frankly, I think they, they should be given more playing time. And just to sense that Jordan Ganey, to me, has not been very great, very good the last few weeks. And uh, if you're not going to get a great, not great, but good production from Jordan Ganey, then I, I think you should give Freddie Dillion some opportunities, but uh, I'm kind of skeptical of it. You know, again, I think everything starts with him being locked in in practice and Tennessee eliciting some uh, emotion and fire from him, uh, which Rick Barnes has talked about kind of being a struggle. You know, I think that was earlier maybe in the preseason of trying to tap that out of him. Uh, so I think it's that. I think it's defense and kind of the same thing, which I said with Dalton Connect. He's a talented offensive player. You know, just kind of letting the game flow naturally on that end and not forcing some stuff, which I think he did earlier in the season when he got some opportunities, though he was good at that, I think, the last couple of times he's been out. Is there any reason to have concern about tonight's game against the Texans? Not the Houston Texans, the Tarleton State Texans. No, not really. I mean, they're they're decent uh, from, you know, the small school factor, especially given the fact I think it's only their fourth season in Division One. so... Uh, it's a newly Division One program. Billy Gillespie, former Kentucky coach and Texas A&M coach, is Tarleton State's coach. So I think he may be on medical leave right now. Bad podcasting, bad journalism. I don't know the answer to that question. I know he was earlier in the season. Um, but not a ton. You know, this is a game Tennessee should take care of business. Certainly you see it across the country for nearly everybody. Uh, this, you know, the last game you play before Christmas is just a classic trap game opportunity. So from that sense, there's some worries. But, you know, this is a team Tennessee's a lot better than 22 or I think 21 and a half point favorites tonight. They should take care of business. And I, I expect that they will. Hey, you are right. This comes straight from the Tarleton, uh, t- uh, Tarleton State Athletic website. Quote, due to Tarleton State's men's basketball head coach Billy Gillespie's ongoing medical circumstances, Tarleton Athletics has named Joseph Jones acting head coach until Gillespie can return, and that was just two days ago. So okay. they will have a, uh, an assistant taking over for the head coach uh, coming up when they take on Tennessee tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. That is correct. SEC Network Plus, ESPN Plus, Andy Brock, Steve Hamer, 
Sarah Detweiler on the call. Was was Steve Hamer on the call? I didn't, I didn't get to listen. Was he on the call back in San Antonio? He was the radio. He was doing the radio broadcast. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Right, right. But that's that's what I meant, though, with yes, uh, uh, with, with Bob. Bob Kessling. Yeah. yeah. He cool. is usually the guy if uh, Burt Burlkamp does not travel uh, on road trips, which I feel like maybe a couple times a year he doesn't. It is usually Steve Hamer. Uh, Ron Slay's done it a couple times, yeah. too, I think, in the, in the past couple of years. But those are kind of the, the alternates or sub-ins. Hey, I'll leave you with a final sort of festive question because this is also our last podcast of the, you know, until Christmas break. Tennessee posted a yeah. video about this just a second ago. I, I, I have not watched it yet, but it was playing in the background. Simple question, eggnog. Yes or no? Are you an eggnog guy? Never had it. Never had it? Never tried it. I, I can't guess say I I've had it too it. often either. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't really care for it, but I, I don't really think that I've had it in a long, long, long time. Yeah, I mean, so no, I really nobody maybe, in my immediate extended family. I don't, I don't family, have a ton of opinion on it. Yeah, no one in my immediate extended family has ever drank it, so I've never. Do you never have a desire? Do you have a desire to try it? Not particularly, and I did watch the video you're referencing, and, and I think some of the, you know texture is one of the things. I think the eggnog texture is kind of yeah, a little strange, and I'm very much like a, a texture eater. Me too. So me too. That makes me skeptical as yeah. to whether I'd actually like it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same But way. I probably should try it. I'm 24 years old. The fact that I haven't tried eggnog is probably uh, a statement to my desire to, to try new things. I, I probably need to branch out a little bit. I feel like some people spike their eggnog. I do think and people maybe, spike And maybe eggnog. that would be the better way to try it off the bat. I don't know. I don't know. I need to, I need to try it again soon, too. Hmm. Maybe we go do a taste test. Go to, go to, okay. Kro- go to Kroger right. and get some. Go to Food City as we sit next to the Food City Center recording this we'll, and, and we'll, get some eggnog. That's a great idea. We'll go pick it up before the, uh, the RTI holiday party that already happened. Already, yeah, it happened last week. Yeah. Anyways, my friend, <laughs> I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. We, we said we weren't going to go too long, and, and we then here we are. We, we, just go, we had a lot to get to today, and we, I thought we did a really good breakdown on uh, – Tennessee's full national signing class roster there on early signing day. Obviously, that is going to continue. That little period is going to continue till Friday. Uh, But then we got some good uh, Tennessee basketball conversation as well. So good things all around. And again, this is going to wrap us up before Christmas. So we'll uh, we'll be back here. uh, Oh, man, I don't know. So I'm going to be out of town uh, through the Citrus Bowl. so We probably won't have another pod before our post-Citrus Bowl pod, if I had to guess. Yeah, I'm thinking Maybe so we'll too. get together on Zoom next week, but I don't think there will really be a ton to talk about. Maybe yeah. a complete Iowa breakdown or something. Yeah. But Well, hey, if you've made it to the end, sit tight with us over the next week. At the very least, we will certainly have a reaction podcast coming out of the Citrus Bowl. Tennessee takes on Iowa on New Year's Day and Orlando, Florida. So that one should be fun. We will be there. We will have boots on the ground for the Citrus Bowl, and we will have boots on the ground for Tennessee's basketball game against Norfolk State the very next day on January 2nd. So wherever Tennessee men's basketball and football are playing, we will be there as well. So, Ryan, I think that's going to about wrap it up for us today. Thank you very much. Thank you to the wonderful listeners out there. Hey, if you've made it to the end, we really appreciate you, and we can't can't wait to see you back for the next one. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all. Have a wonderful New Year as well if we don't hear from you until then. But otherwise, that's going to wrap it up for us today. For Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.